Logos, the constant written word of God. Through the written word, we can learn about God and know his ways, his salvation, and his plan for mankind. Welcome to the Logos podcast, heart of God, mind of Christ. We combine a thorough study of history with godly revelation to help believers grow in their walk with the Lord, as well as offer compelling material that can't be ignored. I now give you the host of Logos, the Hellenic historian, the Spartan, Andy. Hello, Radio World. Welcome to Logos, Heart of God and Mind of Christ. I am your host, Andy Anastasopoulos, also known as the Spartan. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Before we get started, I want to go ahead and remind you to check out the Who's Your Daddy podcast network. Every day, there is a new podcast to uh, go ahead and facilitate your Christian tastes from many different situations and subjects, one almost every day of the week. So please check them out. That's where you can find my show and um, many other different shows. How do you find it? Go to ahistorywithgod.org, click on Podcast Network, and go ahead and happy listening, and I hope that it will help you renew and also strengthen your faith. Now, moving on to today's show, I want to ask you guys, have you ever heard of the term Christian apologetics? Well, if you haven't, it's actually a very special subject matter for me because it has actually re-strengthened my faith in God, and it's also brought me back into my faith in God. So what is it? What do I mean by that? What is Christian apologetics? Well, first, I want to open up with a quote. Christianity has been successfully attacked and marginalized because those who professed belief were unable to defend the faith from attack, even though its attackers' arguments were deeply flawed. And you can find that in William Wilberforce's Real Christianity book. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you were in a position that you were confronted or even attacked for your professed faith in God, but were unable to defend yourself? What if it's just what I believe is no longer enough to defend your faith? And which, by the way, on a side note, saying that is a default setting of the atheist argument against Christians. They will use that against you and say, oh, really? That's what you believe? That's your answer? Things of that nature. This is why Christian apologetics is so important. We as believers need an outlet to be able to defend the faith properly and effectively. The good news is that the battle is raging, but the battleground is not even as uneven as one might think. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 15, instructs us to do the following. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. I'll say that again. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those that disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. So what does that mean? That basically means that, you know, if someone asks us, we should have the ability to, the ability and also the mechanisms to defend our faith if and when asked. But we also need to do it with gentleness and kindness because we don't want to come off on the offensive and we don't want to give the non-believer or the, not, the atheist attacking us any more reason not to um, at least, at the very least, listen to us and at the very least get the seed of Christ planted in them. Okay? Because people will do that with their defense mechanisms. Okay, and there are many debates on YouTube. You can YouTube that you can check out. You know how to properly do these these things and how to properly you know use your voice and all that kind of stuff. 
Atheists themselves come up with outlandish arguments to defend their lack of faith. Musician Greg Gaffin of the group Bad Religion, which is an old-school punk band, asserts that those who suggest life was intelligently designed have not produced a single shred of data to back up their claims. To say that there is no evidence of intelligent design is like saying that just because you don't see an artist in an art gallery doesn't mean that they didn't paint the art. The evidence of intelligent design is so overwhelmingly that it's shredding the notion of that everything was produced by nature alone. Further, this evidence cannot be dismissed by merely a discovery of another obscure fossil or an untestable hypothesis of a theoretical physicist. In the name of science and reason, faith is being framed as illogical and irrational. The overreaching arguments of Darwinian evolution has turned many minds and hearts teaching that life came out of nothing and no reason and no purpose guided by natural selection. This is known as naturalism and that the belief that everything came out about around us from natural causes. As Stephen Hawking concluded, what place then for a creator? However, the reality is that people came to faith through reason, not against it. And that's one thing I want to make clear because a lot of atheists don't realize that. They automatically assume that faith is some sort of magical hocus pocus devoid of reason and therefore we believe Christ for that for that reason which is totally not even true this is why the first step in this battle is believing that god exists and christian apologetics is the full armor of god to defend it do not underestimate the radical atheist they present their argument with great tact and fervor they assert that there is no rational proof of the existence of god the Bible is full of fairy tales and contradictions and religion in general is a bad thing. And on a side note, pay attention to the words that they use. Loaded with negative and incendiary remarks to fame their arguments elaborate. You guys want to know how to debate? Let me tell you how to debate. I'm going to give you debate one-on-one right now. And I'm cor- of course, if things go by, it's going to go ahead and be expanded. You know, But if you want to debate somebody, there's two things you have to do. Number one, totally isolate the argument and cut it up. And two, watch the words they use. When people come against you, either negatively or wherever the case may be, they always seem to find a way to use the most incendiary words. And what do I mean by incendiary? I mean that the words they use are loaded either with double standards or inaccuracies or even bad-mouthing you or, or just kind of calling you names in so many words, okay? And I pick up on this all the time. So watch their speech. So you can go ahead and dissect their argument or dissect their speech. So if somebody says to you, oh, really? Like you believe in Christ? You know, isn't that a bunch of fairy tales? Whoa, whoa, buddy. Whoa, buddy. Why are you using the word fairy tales? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by fairy tales? Last time I checked, Cinderella was a fairy tale. And I'm not talking about Cinderella. You know, things of that nature. Take an argument, isolate it, and slice it up. Moving on. They change that they charge that anyone who is rational and not delusional will come to the same conclusions. Oh, oh, because you believe in Christ, automatically we assume that it's not rational, automatically it's not sound, automatically it's not logical. But if you apply the, the basis of philosophy, you can and you will defend the argument. They feast, they feast on the unprepared religious people who unintelligently hold on to beliefs they inherited who only have a second-hand faith and, connect properly, and cannot properly defend themselves. And ironically, with religious zeal, they believe that it is only a matter of time before people will believe what they believe. Why do I use the word feast? Because these atheists, these non-believers are predators in a way. They want to go ahead and they want to pray and then feast upon your inability to defend the faith. 
okay? Your inability to go ahead and bring up sound arguments, okay? They know how to target and they know how to deconstruct, and you don't be one of them. This is their game plan. This is how it goes. Number one, use ridicule, ridicule and mockery to label people of faith as anti-intellectual or irrational. And as I said, stated earlier, as somebody who believes in fairy tales. And automatically, we must be stupid because we don't have the ability to go ahead and have reason and logic behind our faith. Number two, set up a false dichotomy between science and faith, telling people to choose one over the other. Oh, you got to choose science, sir. Sir, I'm sorry, though, but your religion is no longer, you know, it's no longer valid because, yeah, we have a thing called science and we have religion. And clearly your religion doesn't even match up to science. So, you know, what? guess what? You're going to have to choose, you know, either choose the new and evolution and biology kind of way or choose your old archaic ways. You see, that's how they frame it. Number three, keep, it, keep the debate one-sided by not allowing opinion in the public arena. Make sure that the only places where expressions of faith are in strictly religious settings. You ever hear this one? What about this one? Oh, if you believe that, then why don't you go to church and preach that? Do you notice the condescending tone? I did it on purpose so you guys can catch that because that's what they'll do. Oh, really? You know what? Why don't you just tell me that I'm cute in so many words? Oh, that's cute. Oh, really? You believe that? That's so cute, okay? Be even more condescending, please. And here's another one, too. And this is kind of like a side note, a different kind of subject, but it's also attached to the Christian worldview. If you don't like abortion, then don't get one, okay? Did you catch that, guys? If you don't like it, then don't do it, okay? That's how it was in slavery. Well, if you don't like slaves then don't own one. Okay, I won't own one, but I guess it's okay for you to have one, right? Denied, no thank you. Also, I love this one. I love it. I just love it. Restricting freedom of speech by designated areas, the only possible way to protest or express your faith, which is usually miles away from the arena. Have you ever seen this before? Oh, these videos are great. They're all over YouTube. You know, Let's say you want to go ahead and, uh, and protest, either politically or religiously, and you want to use your First Amendment right. So you go to an arena or whatever. They will designate you to, quote-unquote, free speech zones, okay? They'll say to you, oh, you want to do that? Go over there. The line's over there. The section's over there. And meanwhile, a lot of times, it's like a mile away from, from the... Um, from the arena or wherever the case may be where you're protesting or you're trying to go ahead and preach the word of God. They know ways how to do that. They know ways around it. They will never be able to, hopefully, by the grace of God, they'll never be able to get rid of your freedom of speech laws, but they know ways around it. I mean, not to get off on a tangent, but there are ways where they can go ahead and discontinue a certain book that you should be that you would want to read, but the publishing company might say, oh, yeah, you know what? We don't have that book anymore. And that's a sly way of like, you know, the media controlling everybody's thought process by saying, yeah, we discontinued it because it's not selling. But the reality is they want to get it off the shelves, you know. Um, and what else, too? Also, there's, um, you know, even like there's a great videos on YouTube where it's like people are uh, the Christians are using their First Amendment rights on college campuses. And the people will come up and they say the police will come up and say, yeah, you have to go ahead and, um, you know, check your freedom of speech with the uh, administrator at this some some stupid building. And that guy will come out and it'll be like, yeah, you know, I mean, you have to go ahead and register. And the Christians have to keep on saying to them, if I have to register my freedom of speech then it's not really freedom of speech, you know? But, I mean, these are the, these are the tactics I'm, I'm telling you about. Now, 
The unfortunate reality is that this strategy is working. The Pew Center of Research documented in that in 2007, 83% uh, of millennials said that they never doubted God's existence. And in 2012, that number dropped it into 68%. In five years, that's a 15-point drop. That's insane. You know how insane that is? In five, in five years, 15% uh, of a drop? Think about that for a minute. And God only knows it's 2017. God only knows you know, uh, yeah, how lower it is even now. All the more reason to defend the faith with apologetics. Other studies indicate that more than half of young people in America, more than half, ladies and gentlemen, who attend church will drop out after they leave for college. All right, and where's the, and where's the church? And where the where where the uh, and where's the family? And where are the people rallying to make sure this doesn't happen? Okay, we're the ones that are going ahead and injecting apologetics into their their battle plan so this doesn't happen. One of the reasons for this young people are not equipped to deal with the intellectual onslaught that awaits them in college. Christian apologetics hopes to help rectify that, this matter. So they leave the household, they leave the church, they go to college, okay? They're already ill-equipped as it is. The back door is totally open for them. And then on top of that, they get, they get churned in this, um, this meat grinder of atheism and this, this lack of knowledge. And the, the guys that, you know, the people that are fight, you know, going against the Christians, you know, they have their worldview and they know their worldview. Even though it's not the right worldview, they know it anyway. But they're going ahead and they're grinding, the grinding, the grinding. Just like how the Bible says how the, your, your enemy, the devil, is looking for, a, uh, you know, you to, to eat like a lion, prowling, looking, waiting to devour. And that's what they do. They wait to devour like lions. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you're oh, oh, really? Oh, really? Isn't that cute? You know. However, the good news is that the signs of young people having a spiritual awakening are, are are happening. They're popping up. However, it should be alarming and concerning that this new generation of skeptics is committed to an unbelieving world agenda. Its mission is to vehemently oppose faith. A matter of fact, they seek to destroy and bring uh, bring the end of faith. So not only are they churning, you know, this meek running. Not only are they, are they prowling, devouring like lions. Okay. They have an agenda, and the agenda is to destroy faith, okay? It's not so much to go ahead and victimize and take the victims. They are destroying faith as well. That is their ultimate goal. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to be passive and disengaged. While we must treat those who come against God with dignity, we must also be prepared to speak the truth boldly. We must be bold in our witness to Christ as skeptics are in their attacks against faith. Every worldview is in essence a story, an effort to answer our existence. Right or wrong, whoever tells the most believable story wins. The early Christians told their story and confirmed it with evidence. And there's the difference between our worldview and their worldview. We have the evidence to back it up. And that's why Christian apologetics, again, is so important. Because we're going to use this evidence to go ahead and deny their claims because their claims are false. All right? It's not so much the fact that we can deny their claims because it can be done, which is where the hope lies. It's because we are not equipped and no longer are we going to play uh, the lamb to this slaughter and not equip ourselves because we are going to equip ourselves. Right or wrong, whoever tells their most story, believable story wins. And the early Christians told their story and confirmed it with evidence. Jesus resurrected to fulfill the words of the ancient prophets. His resurrection proved the ancient words of, words of the prophets. This goes against the common narrative that every story is equally valid, but all stories are not equal. You know, I had a great friend. I was talking to a great friend about this yesterday. We were talking about, yeah, you know, everybody wants to believe in their own little bubble that their value is worth, you know, they're valuable and they're worth, and they are, no question about it, that they are, but their worldview is automatically on par with other people's worldview, and how dare you question their worldview? And automatically, there's something wrong with you, us, the Christians, if we question their worldview. God forbid we tell people the good news of the gospel. 
gospel. God forbid. How dare you, sir? How dare you tell me the good news of the gospel? How dare you try to save my life with the gospel? (laughs) Now, this goes against common narrative that every story is equally valid. But again, all stories are not equal. Their arguments can get compelling, but still shrouded in deceit. For example, one of the biggest arguments right now is your religion is based on where you were born. So, for example, if you were born in India, you would be a Hindu. If you were born in America, odds are you would become a Christian. Although there are many, maybe some truth to this, this isn't the whole story. And all I have to do is direct you guys, which I highly recommend. You must check out Ravi Zacharias, who is the king of apologetics and probably one of the greatest ministers to have ever lived. And he also is from India. He was a Hindu and he converted from to Christ. And he has many different debates with Hindus and people that are asking them and they're saying, oh, I want you to go ahead from your position. I want you to defend why you're not Hindu. And he would always say to them, no, 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 I will debate you. but I'm going to debate you as to why I'm Christian, not why I'm not Hindu. So definitely check out Ravi Zacharias. Now, the secularists try to eliminate their rivals, not physically, obviously, but intellectually, then spiritually. This is why intelligent design is excommunicated from the classrooms. I mean, where's the choice? Where's the freedom of choice? And where's the debate between evolution and creationism, you know, or creative design? Or the teaching of both, okay? Have you noticed that there's an exclusivity club in public schools nowadays where it's like you're demanded to go out and teach evolution and you're not even taught anymore about creative design? I mean, isn't there like a level of, again, shouldn't there be the choice? And if there's not the choice, then there shouldn't there be a debate? And if there's not a debate, though, shouldn't you be teaching both? And why do I have to subject you know, my kids, my children in the future to learning these things if that's necessary? If I have a problem with it, do I not have a right to have a problem with it? You know, the beautiful thing about living in a democratic society is, listen, if I'm wrong, prove to me that I'm wrong. And how do we do that? In the arena of the debate. You're not going to tell me I'm wrong and just go ahead by the sword, say to me, we're not teaching that anymore. And if you don't like it, just go to your safe space. If you don't like it, just don't get one. If you don't like it, just go to your church. I mean, do you, get, you see, ladies and gentlemen, the picture that I'm painting here, do you see how this stuff works? Now, let us not forget that the battle of Christian thought and its defense was with us since the inception of our faith. This is nothing new, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics is nothing new, okay? This has been happening since the days of the early church fathers. Christianity rose from the hostile culture of the Roman Empire's culture of violence, where to believe in Christ could have cost you your life. And oftentimes it did. Early believers were fed to the lions in the Colosseum, burned at the stake, and even crucified for professing their beliefs. Christianity prevailed not by the point of the sword, as most religions were, but through divine love. 2,000 years strong and still alive when it started in the most underground and hidden depths of humanity. Efforts to extinguish the Christian fire were tough and many, but often failed. Christ commanded this force by telling us to spread his message through irresistible love and the power of truth. And although we have the most powerful force in the universe on our side, we must not be complacent and ignorant of the battle that is at hand. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. That is the gauntlet, so to speak. Okay? We as Christians have to, first of all, stop realizing that our God is passive through some liberal, mindless agenda. Our God is not passive. Okay? Our God is the master of the universe, and he's both graceful and powerful. And it's time to take this battle honorably with grace with a humbleness, with forgiveness, as Peter said, and take this argument to the debate halls, okay? There's an old saying, there's an old Greek saying, whoever dares wins. So meet me in the debate halls and the college campuses. Battle me the way I'm supposed to be battled, through intelligence, okay? We do this with grace, we do this with honor, but words are powerful. We should not, as Christians, mince words, and we should not have to go ahead 
and go ahead and be like these little kitty cats. We should prowl like an honorable line and say, listen, this is the truth and this is the way it is. And these are the words of Christ. And that's all there is to it. I'm going to go ahead and start tackling more of the apologetic stuff. For those of you out there who are either skeptics or truth seekers or they're believers, but they don't understand or know how to go ahead and present this information, it's coming. I'm bringing it all to you. So I hope you just stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you really enjoyed this week's episode of Logos, and I'll catch you next week. You've been listening to the Logos Podcast with Andy Anastasopoulos. Visit us online at logospodcast.com and leave a message for Andy to be included in upcoming episodes. The Logos Podcast is part of the Who's Your Daddy Podcast Network and is produced by a History with God Ministries, a historywithgod.org.